0: pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Lord, this time where we can open your word and read it. And God, I pray that you would help us. Give us ears to hear. And uh, Lord, I pray that every time Your scripture is read, Lord, that you help us to receive it as not the words of men, but as it truly is from you. Help us, God, to incline our ears and hear. Father, I pray that you'd help us to feel the weight of the authority of your word. That just like your your voice boomed out of Mount Sinai, Lord, and people trembled before you. God help us to feel the weight of that, that every time we open this book, and every time we read these words, we're reading words breathed out by you. Please, Lord, give us ears to hear, and cause us to be those that are doers of your word and not hearers only. Thank you, Lord, for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to read this. You don't have to flip to this passage, but I want to read this, just kind of starting off. This is uh, about King Solomon. It says, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure, and breadth of mind, like the sand on the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt for he was wiser than other men and it mentions these other these other men that he was wiser than and it says he also spoke three thousand proverbs and it goes on to say people from all nations came to hear the wisdom of solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom three thousand proverbs wouldn't it be awesome if we could sit underneath some of the proverbs of solomon and praise god we can you could go ahead and turn your bible to proverbs the book of proverbs This is where we're headed. I want I want to give sort of a sort of an overview of Proverbs. I want to stir up your heart to love it and want to read it more and more and more. Um, and as we look sort of a sort of an overview, the overall structure of Proverbs, I want us to um, to begin to really zone in to to two groups of people: to young men and to fathers. And I'll talk about this in a, minute, in a moment. That this, That doesn't cancel everyone else out, but I think that's a focus in the book of Proverbs, so we're going to make it a focus of our time together as we overview Proverbs, a focus on young men and on on fathers. But just by way of overview, let's talk about the book of Proverbs for just a minute. What is a proverb? What is a proverb? Uh, John MacArthur defined it like this. He said, Proverbs are simple moral statements or illustrations that highlight and teach fundamental realities about life. They're like short, short, pithy statements that, that teach a general truth, or they just make some sort of wise you know, observation. And really, I don't think you can understand what a proverb is, unless you read one. And I, I know you guys have done that. But let me just give you an example. This is a proverb that teaches a general truth. Proverbs chapter 10, uh, I'll just read it quickly, verse 26. It says, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke in the eyes, so is the slugger to those who send him. not that a good proverb? And you think about that little, that little pithy saying, so is the sluggard to those who send him. It's, it's a rebuke about lazy people, and it says that they're like smoke in the eyes. Have you ever sat around a a bonfire, and all of a sudden the wind blows, and it goes up in your face. You go, "Ugh, oh, like this," you know. It says it's like that. It's like smoke in the eyes, the sluggard to those uh, who send them. That's a proverb that teaches a general truth. Or uh, Proverbs nineteen four. This is just sort of a, a wise observation that's supposed to teach you something. Listen, wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friends. Think about what you're supposed to learn from that pithy little statement. Wealth brings many new friends. Um, just making an observation there. but a poor man is deserted by his friend. And there's something you're supposed to take away from that of the motivations and intentions behind friendship. So this is what a proverb is like. It's this pithy statement, teaches some sort of truth, makes some sort of observation. There are modern day proverbs like you don't know what you've got until it's gone. You've heard, probably heard somebody say that many times. It's meant to stir you up to think, I don't know, you don't know what you have until it's gone. So don't take things for granted that you have now because when it's you're not going to realize what you have until it's missing, so don't take it for granted now. It's a proverb. Now, as I've noticed this is as people read through the book of Proverbs, there's really, and, and maybe there's more than this, but this is my observation, there's two ditches that you can fall into as you read through the book of Proverbs. Two ditches you can fall into. One is to read them like they are absolute promises. Absolute promises. And another mistake would be, well, they're, they're not absolute promises. They're just mere probabilities. So two ditches. They're absolute promises or they're just mere probabilities. Now, here's what I mean by that. Let me try to explain that. You don't understand the book of Proverbs as absolute promises in the same way you think about John 3.36, for example. John 3.36 says, whoever believes in the Son has everlasting life. And whoever does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. That's absolute promise. You believe in Christ, eternal life every single time. You disobey the son. You walk away from the son. It says the wrath of God every single time. Absolute promise. Now, that's not the way we think about Proverbs. I'll just give you a quick example of that. And you don't have to flip to all these. I know there's a lot of moving around in Proverbs. But Proverbs 22, verse 11. Listen to this. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king. As his friend. So think about that. Absolute promise. Is that the way we should think about that? That the person who loves purity of heart. Whose speech is gracious. Which by the way Jesus loved purity of heart. And his speech was gracious. And Jesus was not the friend of the king. But this says. In verse 11. Will have the king as his friend. There's other places in Proverbs that connect uh, wise living to wealth and prosperity. But we know, if you take, think about just taking all the wisdom literature in our Bible, the other books of wisdom literature uh, w- would actually give you sort of the other side of that, right? You got Job, this is wisdom literature, and, and Job is, is living wisely, he's acting wisely. And yet we don't see him with prosperity and wealth. We see great, great suffering falling down on Job. So the way we understand Proverbs is not like this the same way we we read inflexible law or absolute promise, but this would be the other ditch. The other ditch to that, once you realize that, would be to just say, well, it just don't mean, it's just mere probabilities then. Who knows, you know? Read it, don't read it. Who knows what will happen? Maybe these things will happen. And that's a ditch too, because here's the problem. These are God's words. This is Proverbs breathed out by God, wisdom from God, that if you, you're being taught how to live a godly and wise and understanding life, and, I'm, and, it, and, it's, and it's just true, that if you live according to what's laid out here, it's going to have effect on your life. Now again, not inflexible law, there are exceptions, there's things that happen, there's, there's variety that God uh, allows people to go through different things. man, if you live according to these God-breathed words, it's going to have impact and effect on your life. So we read these as God-breathed Proverbs. Now, I think oftentimes when people think about the book of Proverbs, they just think of it as just a random assortment of these pithy statements, right? Just random, you know, a little proverb here, a little proverb here. There's no real order to it. And so I want you to see that there is some structure to the book of Proverbs, Now, there's different ways you can break it down, but I want to break it down just to to try to be simple into four parts as far as understanding the structure of the book of Proverbs. Number one, we've got the introduction. So if you look at chapter one, verse one through seven really serves as an introduction to the book of Proverbs. And what do we see in verses one through seven? What do we see in this introduction? Well, we see the primary author, Or the primary author and compiler of the book of Proverbs. Look at verse 1. The Proverbs of Solomon. Of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So these, these things are attributed to Solomon. He's the primary author. He's the primary compiler. Now we know as you keep reading through Proverbs, you find out that, you know, chapter 30, verse 1 and chapter 31, verse 1 and, and some other places in Proverbs that there, there are other um, authors of these Proverbs. This is a, a compilation of, of things. And, and, and there's even one place where it says, here here's some, some more Proverbs from Solomon that was compiled by King Hezekiah. So it's not just, you know, straight through, but the main author, main compiler, as we think about the book of Proverbs, is Solomon. That's why it says of Solomon here. We also see the main purpose and the main audience. Look at verse 2 through 6 and really try to lean in and understand what's the purpose of this book and who's it mainly focused on. Verse 2 to know, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand the words of the wise and their riddles. So here's the purpose of this book is to pour out wisdom and understanding and insight to affect your life, to live a godly and wise life. And according to what we just read, there's a youth lean to the book of Proverbs. Did you see that in verse four? To give knowledge and discretion to who? It says to the youth. To the youth. It has a youth lean. Lean. It has a specifically it has a young man lean as we'll see as you keep reading through the book of Proverbs. Uh, verse eight says, hear my son. And that's going to be repeated over and over again. My son, my son, my son, my sons. There's a real lean here towards in the book of Proverbs, a real lean towards young men. Young men, listen up. And then in verse seven, in this introduction, You really get sort of a a foundational proverb, a proverb that sits underneath all the rest of the proverbs. Look at it in verse seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is a very practical book, but this practical book will not help you if you do not fear God. And by fearing God, I mean this reverence before God, this trembling at his word. You tremble in his presence, man, you're all struck by his majesty. That fear of the Lord is the basis, it's the foundation for any wisdom you might ever receive. You can know nothing truly. You can know a little fact here, a little fact there, but you can't get the depths of any fact you don't begin with the fear of the Lord the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge it's the beginning of wisdom and that's the foundation that's laid here in this book Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 so you got the introduction in chapter 1 verse 1 through 7 and that's number one number two as far as structure goes number two you see a father's pleading now this is really Chapter 1, verse 8, all the way through chapter 9. So think about that for just a minute. Chapters 1 through 9 of the book of Proverbs is just a father pleading with his son. First nine chapters, a father pleading with, with his son. I believe most people miss this in the book of Proverbs. But, but think about this for a minute. What you typically think of as a proverb, this, this pithy statement, doesn't begin till chapter 10. Nine chapters of of a a dad, a father, my son, my son, my son, over and over and over again. It's literally, I think it's 16 times. 15 or 16 times. And let me me just give you a taste of it. Verse 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching. And he goes on to say some things. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. My son... You hear that father's pleading? My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, make it your ear. You hear that pleading of a father? Chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life. And peace they will add to you. You hear it? A father's pleading. Chapter 3, verse 11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Chapter 3, verse 21. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Chapter 4, verse 1. Hear, O son, hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. Chapter 4, verse 10. Hear, my son, and accept my words. Chapter 4, verse 20. My son... Be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Chapter 5 verse 1. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. Chapter 6 verse 1. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given... You hear the pleading? And for time's sake, I'll stop there. But about 15 or 16 times in the first nine chapters... Before you get to what you typically think of as a proverb, is this father just pleading with his son? Now we'll come back to the significance of that in just a minute. Okay. Number three, as far as structure goes, so you got um, an introduction, and then you got chapters one through nine of father's pleading. And then number three, chapters ten through twenty nine, you've got proverbs from wise men, uh, mainly from Solomon. Some of just his own, his own writing, some compiled by King Hezekiah, some Proverbs, from other uh, wise men. But chapter 10 through 29 are just what you typically think of as a proverb. And, and if you've ever read through the book of Proverbs, you know this. You can't read them fast. Right? You got it. you you can't, you can't read them casually. You can't, I'm just going to pick it up and just kind of read and You can't do that. You have to slow down when you read the Proverbs. You have to meditate. That's a Bible word. You have to meditate on the Proverbs. You've got to ponder. Deep, deep pondering of these things. That's what the book of Proverbs forces you to do. Now, here's what's interesting. I think the book of Proverbs forces you to do something in meditation and pondering that you ought to do with all of God's word. Right? Now, I'm not not promoting, you know, Read a verse a day, you know, meditate on a one Bible verse a day. I'm not promoting that at all. I think you should read more of the word of God than that every day. Um, But I am promoting a a deep, prayerful, uh, meditative uh, uh, look and, and chewing up the word of God every single day. Not to read it casually. I think Proverbs reminds us of this, that that brothers and sisters, never get into the habit of just getting a little bitty time in the Word of God, a hurried time in the Word of God before I have to run out the front door and go to work. No, leave yourself some time, sufficient time to sit alone with God, to know Him, to know His Word, to think deeply and ponder and meditate on the truth of Scripture. Proverbs forces you to do that. And this is something you ought to do in all, all of God's word. Sufficient time to seek God's face in the scripture. Now, that's chapters 10 through 29. And the last thing I'll say, number four, as far as structure goes, is you have two closing messages. Okay? It's interesting. You read through Proverbs. You got chapter 10 through 29 as these Proverbs from wise men. And then chapter 30 and chapter 31 are these Two messages. In chapter 30 is from a man named Agur. If that's how you say it. And chapter 31 is from a man named King Lemuel. Now, there's different um, interpretations of who these men are. Uh, but either way, this is the way it words it in chapter 30 and chapter 31. These closing messages from these two men, chapter 30 and chapter 31. Okay, so I hope you understand the book of Proverbs, a little bit of structure here, a little bit of overview. And what I want to do now from Proverbs, I want us to focus in on young men. Okay? I want us to focus in on young men. As I said earlier, the book of Proverbs truly does have a young man lean. I hope you saw that. First nine chapters. My son, my son. My son, hear your father's instruction. My son, there's a young man. It's, it's you know, chapter 1, verse 1 through 7. is towards the youth to give wisdom to the youth. It has a young man lean. And you don't just see that in the first nine chapters. I mean, even at the very end. Just listen to this. This is the way the whole book ends. Chapter 31, last chapter. Verse 1 says, The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son, of my womb? What are you doing, son, of my vows? This is the way the book ends. So it truly has a young man lean in the book of Proverbs, which is why we want to focus on it. Now let me try to define youth. So, so again, chapter 1, verse 4 says to give prudence to the youth, Let's define youth. Now, certainly that means young boys and teenage boys need to perk up in the room. And this is for the youth. Certainly it means that. Listen up. Give ear. But it's not just that. And it's probably not even mainly that. But the youth here is talking about young men, even married-aged men. And here's why I say that. You can look at chapter 5. And listen to what it says in verse 18. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. So youth the youthling of Proverbs doesn't have to mean 12-year-old boy, although they definitely need to listen up, hear this out. But here it's talking about the wife of your youth, a young married man, a young man. Okay, Say the same thing in chapter 7. Uh, Verse 7, it says, And I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, youth, right, a young man lacking sense. So there you got youth and young man side by side. Youth, a young man lacking sense. So when you think about this youth lean, uh, boys listen up, uh, teenagers listen up. Young men, young, even married men, listen up to the book of Proverbs. Now, as I do this, this doesn't mean that everybody else can check out, okay? Because the reality is, even the things that I'm going to mention and focus on here, the things that God calls young men to are, in a, in a large sense, the same thing he calls everybody to in other places of Scripture, so everybody, listen up. Okay, everybody, hear this out. Don't check out. Not to mention, there's even secondary ways that these things apply, right? You got this, this, uh, this focus on young men. Well, old men. This tells you how you need to urge these young men, right? Young ladies, this tells you the kind of young man you need to consider marrying. Mothers, this tells you the kind of young man you need to raise. So, so there's all kind of reasons not to check out if you don't fit into that category of. Of young men. So in light of the book of Proverbs. And especially in light of these first nine chapters. Of a father pleading with a son. Young men I want to call you to some things. I want to call you to three things. Number one. From this passage of scripture. I want to call you to fear God and not men. I want to call you to fear God and not men. Young men have a reputation of being obsessed with being cool. An obsession with the cool. Just trying really, really hard to fit in. To be accepted in this world. Just being cool. Now it usually affects the young men more than it does the old men. I got a couple old men in my life that don't give a rip about being cool. Couldn't care for anything else. But there's this youth lean to, I want to fit in, I want to be liked, I want to be cool, I want to be accepted. And listen, that's just a soft version of the fear of man. That desire to fit in is just a soft version of the fear of man. Caring way, Caring way too much about what other people think instead of what God thinks. Trying way too hard to impress other people. When the only one that really matters is what does God think? Is God pleased with me? This is what matters. Not whether or not other men are pleased with me. Young men, I'm not interested in redefining. You see that a lot in our culture. We're going to redefine what's cool. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in you not giving a rip about what's cool. I'm interested in you having a contempt for cool. You don't even care about it. Because your heart... As you want to please your God. Don't fear men, fear God. That is all over the first nine chapters of Proverbs. Don't fear men, fear God. Chapter 1, verse 7. It's the very foundational proverb. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And what's he warning him about in the next verse? Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head, pendants around your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, how do they do that? How do sinners entice you? So often, it's, 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 not, it's not like they say, hey, here's, here's this really horrible thing that's going to lead us to hell. Want to go? It's what's acceptable. It's that you want to be liked. You want to you come with us. It's that sort of thing. Fear God. Don't fear men. I want to call you to that. Now again, by fear, I mean reverence, awestruck, trembling at his word, caring infinitely more about what God thinks than any other human thinks. The fear of the Lord. Chapter 1, verse 29, just to give you a taste of this, it says, this is a rebuke, it says, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. Young men that didn't choose the fear of the Lord. Isn't that an interesting phrase? How do you choose something that's like this this inward affection or this inward feeling, the fear of God, how do you choose the fear of the Lord? And that's exactly what he rebukes them for here, not choosing to fear God. They feared men, not God. They worried about what men think, not God. Men's words, not trembling at God's words. Now, how do you choose it? How do you choose the fear of the Lord? Well, keep reading chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, he tells us. How do you choose the fear of the Lord? Listen, do this. Chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments within you, making your ear attentive to wisdom, inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. If you seek it like silver, search for it like hidden treasures. What will happen? Then you'll understand the fear of the Lord. Did you catch it? How do you choose the fear of the Lord? Verse 5 says, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord. How do you do it? You do chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. You call out for insight. You seek knowledge. You seek wisdom and knowledge like it's hidden treasure. This is the same thing over in Deuteronomy 17. 17, verse 18 and 19. He tells the king of Israel that that was to come. He says, I want you to read these words. Read them. Just read them. Read them. Read them all the days of your life why so that you might learn to fear the lord your god how do you choose to fear the lord you seek him you seek him in his word you read it day in and day out in pursuit of knowing god and you will learn to fear him young men choose to fear god and not men now this continues on, I'll just say it quickly. Chapter 3, verse 7. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Chapter 8, verse 13. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Chapter 9. Chapter 9. Verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Young men, fear God. Don't fear men. Now, the second thing, a charge to young men, is this. Get wisdom from his word. And all you're getting, get wisdom From the Word of God. In our culture today, young men are viewed as complete idiots. It's almost acceptable that men would live in childish immaturity well into their 30s and maybe even beyond. In family life, a husband, a young husband, is viewed as an irresponsible bonehead that should never be trusted with anything. It's just true. You know that's true. Young fathers, they're just seen as mama's little helper that wouldn't know what to do if mama wasn't around. This is the way young men are viewed in the culture that you live in. Albert Moeller was asked one time, When does a boy become a man? When does a boy become a man? And in response to that, he wrote a little booklet, which is what people like him do, I guess. And the booklet's called From Boy to Man that's how he answered the question. He wrote a book on how does a boy become a man or when does a boy become a man. He wrote a book called From Boy to Man. And he gives, he gives his answer. And in the introduction, Albert Moeller says this. We now face the phenomenon of perpetual boyhood on the part of many males. Refusing to grow up, these young men function as boys well into their 20s. Some even into their 30s and beyond. An extended male adolescence marks the lifestyles, expectations, and behavior of far too many young males whose masculine identity is embraced awkwardly, if at all. When does a boy become a man? And then he goes on to give 13 Characteristics of manhood, that this, this, this sort of coming of age, of coming into manhood. And what I want to do is I want to read to you the 13th, the, the 13th characteristic that he gives here. And it's this biblical, so number 13, biblical maturity, and by that he means maturity in the word of God. Get wisdom from God's word. Okay? Biblical maturity sufficient to lead at some level In the church called a manhood, biblical maturity to lead at some level in the church. And then Albert Muller goes on to say this, a close look at many churches will reveal that a central problem is the lack of biblical maturity among men of the congregation and a lack of biblical knowledge that leaves men ill-equipped and completely unprepared to exercise spiritual leadership. Boys must be taught to know, to treasure, to honor, and to understand the Bible. They must know their way around the biblical text and feel at home in the study of God's word. They must be taught how to read with care, rightly dividing the word of truth. And they must learn how to apply the eternal truths of God's word to the challenges of modern manhood. And so this is exactly, you read this father in Proverbs 1 through 9, and he's pleading with his son. And what's he pleading? He's pleading these kind of things. Get wisdom. Get wisdom. Get wisdom from his word. Let me just read to you a few of those passages. Chapter 3, verse 13. Listen to this father pleading with his son. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets wisdom understanding for the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit is better than gold she's more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her all that labor you put in to make money i'll tell you something better wisdom from god's word chapter four verse five just listen to it get wisdom wisdom A father to his son. Get wisdom, son. Get insight. Do not forget. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she'll keep you. Love her. and She'll guard you. Love wisdom. She'll guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her wisdom. Prize her highly. And she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. Embrace the wisdom, embrace the knowledge from God's word. Chapter 4, verse 13. Keep hold of instruction, don't let go. Guard her, for she's your life. How do you hold God's word like it's your life? Maybe one more. Chapter 7, verse 1. My son, my son. Keep my words. Treasure up my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. I love that phrase. The way you protect your own eye. Keep keep my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you're my sister. And call insight your intimate friend. Think about thinking about God's wisdom from God's word. Thinking about it as your intimate friend. As your intimate friend. Now I want to quickly show you something at the end. This is at the end of the book of Proverbs. That really helps you remember that the wisdom we're talking about gathering up. I'm saying get wisdom. Get wisdom young man. It really is from this book. It really is from the written word of God and from the scripture. Chapter 30. This is the verse, such a sweet memory verse. You ought to grab it and hide it in your heart. Chapter 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. So here we have this push towards God's word. Don't, Don't add to his words. Every word of God is pure. Now, 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 that's verse 5 and 6. Take it with you. Memorize it hide in your heart. Listen to the context real quick. Verse 1. The words of Agur, the son of Jacob, the oracle. The man declares, I'm weary, O God. I'm weary, O God, and worn out. Surely I'm too stupid to be a man. I have not the understanding of a man. I have not learned wisdom, nor have I knowledge of the Holy One. Isn't that an interesting thing to come behind? You got all these proverbs, all this wisdom laid out, chapters 10 through 29. And then the first thing that's said in this message is this humble man. He's saying, I'm too stupid. I don't have the understanding. You're calling me to wisdom, but I don't have wisdom. I don't have knowledge of the Holy One. So where does he run? Verse 4. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know, next verse, every word of God proves true. Every word of God proves true. He runs to the words of God. I love this passage. In this passage, we see the authority of God's word. These are words of who? Of God. Verse 6 says, His words. They're His. We see the authority of God's word. We see the truthfulness of God's word. Every word proves true. How many of God's words prove true? Every single one of them. We see the sufficiency of God's word. Don't you add to it. Don't you add to it. And there's there's even a rebuke behind it or a warning behind it. Lest He rebuke you. And you be found a liar, don't you add to his words. We see his words as a means of grace. It's a means of grace in your life. Every word proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. How do you do that? How do you go to God as your shield? How do you take refuge in God? Every word of God proves true. Don't add to his words. It's through the written word of God. So quick quick uh, new year's exhortation as many people are thinking about their bible reading brothers and sisters and especially young men read your bible diligently read it diligently scripture says in proverbs 13:13 13, 13, that the man who despises the word will be destroyed but those who fear the commandment will be rewarded Those who despise the word will be destroyed, but those who fear the commandment will be rewarded. Loving the word of God and reading the word of God, this is an evidence of salvation. John 8, 47, it it, it speaks about uh, you don't know, you you don't hear him because you're not of God. You don't hear his words because you're not of God. That's a strong phrase. You do not hear my words because you're not of God. It's It's an evidence of being saved that you want the word of God. You love the word of God. At the end of the year, one thing that I've tried to get in the habit of saying to uh, my older kids uh, the last couple years is they'll, they'll read through the Bible and, and, and they're done. And I'll, and I'll say, all right, you already read it, right? So don't have to do that anymore. And, and of course, they know what I'm getting at. <laughs> and they say, no, that's not right. You keep reading. It. Why, why, why should you keep? Have you already read through the word? Why should you keep? Diligently reading God's word. Proverbs 19, 27, it says, cease listening cease listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. It's a warning, it's a promise. Cease listening to instruction. And you will stray from the words of knowledge. So, young men, and everybody else to whom this applies, get wisdom from his word. Get wisdom from his word. Third exhortation I want to give to young men is this, is to be disciplined. Flowing out of Proverbs, especially Proverbs 1 through 9, a father pleading with his son to be disciplined. Now discipline is, it's, it's, discipline's got a bad reputation in our culture is just being legalistic. But discipline is not legalistic unless it is Christless. And what I'm calling you to is a Christ-filled, faith-filled discipline. God's word exalts discipline and condemns laziness. And young men have a terrible reputation today of being very, very undisciplined. To be disciplined is to be in control of your desires and not having your desires in control of you. To be disciplined is to be in control of your desires and not your desires being in control of you. Now, the first nine chapters of Proverbs calls a young man to be disciplined in many different areas. Proverbs 6, verse 6 through 11 says, Consider the ant, you sluggard, and be wise. It's a call to be disciplined in your work and even in your sleep. It's a call to be disciplined in your words and and what you let come out of your mouth. It's don't say everything that you feel. As the scripture in Proverbs says, "A, A fool vents all his feelings just vince it all. Be disciplined in your words, disciplined in your work, disciplined in your sleep, but there's one, thing, there's one thing in particular in chapters 1 through 9 of a father pleading with a son that just comes up over and over and over again. It's a repetition. It will surprise you how much in the first nine chapters a young man's being called to discipline in this specific area. And it's in the area of sexual desire. Discipline in the area of of sexual desire. Now I'll read a few of these passages or just at least reference them. And I just want you to understand this. You, you read through Proverbs 1 through 9, and I would encourage you to do that soon. Um, it would be a good time to do that. And you read through and you hear this father just pleading, take my instruction. Take my wisdom. Hide it on your heart. Write it on the tablet of your heart. And, and you think what he's going to say is, is, you know, so that you'll grow in godliness, which is true. But you think he's going to say something more general. And yet over and over again, he says, because of the adulterous woman. Or because of sexual immorality. And that's, the, that's his reason for calling him to this over and over again in Proverbs 1 through 9. And we should be instructed by this. Young men, be disciplined. And especially in the area of sexual desire. Let me read to you a few of those verses. Pro- Proverbs chapter 2, verse 16. After this call to seek wisdom, seek instruction, verse 19 says, So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down to death and her past to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the past of life. You hear how serious that is? Discipline and sexual desire. Chapter five, we don't have to read it all, is literally a whole chapter devoted to that. That father pleading with his son, devoted to this same kind of thing. Look down in chapter five, verse 20. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, he ponders all his paths. Chapter six, verse twenty. My son, keep your father's commandment, forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they'll watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. And here's what almost surprises you. Next verse, verse 24. To preserve you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. Do not let her capture you with her eyelashes. For the price of a prostitute is only a loaf of bread. But a married woman hunts down a precious life. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Do you see how serious this is? Young men, you see how serious this is? And it's a repetition over and over again. You can go to chapter 7. A whole chapter devoted to this. This warning about sexual immorality. Chapter 9, verse 13 through 18 closes it out that way. This warning about sexual immorality. So think about it. Chapters 1 through 9, a father pleading with a son. And what does he hit again and again and again? Be disciplined, specifically in this area of sexual desire. Feel warned about it. The takeaway is, young men, this is serious. This is life or death. Can you take fire into your chest and not be burned? And the answer to that is no, you can't. Now, I want us to switch the focus a little bit from young men to fathers. Now, for some of you, both of these will grab you. You're a young father, but I want you to think about this for just a moment. Focus a little. Focus on fathers here, okay? Think about this. Here we have this book, the Book of Proverbs, a, a, a book devoted to fo- to forming a godly, wise life in the youth, to to moving the youth, especially young men towards godly and wise living. Here we have this book devoted to that. And how does it begin? It begins with nine chapters of a father pleading with him. Now think about that for a minute. There's something to learn from that, right? As you think about fatherhood, a book devoted to the godliness and wisdom of young people begins with nine chapters, a nine-chapter introduction of a father pleading with his son, there, there, there's, something, there's something we need to be sure not to miss from that. And I believe it's this. The massive significance of a father's influence on his children. The massive significance of a father's influence on his children. Now this in no way uh, diminishes the role of a mother, right? I mean, we see it in the text. Not only your father's instruction, but your mother's teaching. It literally is chapter 31, with a mother pleading. With a son so this doesn't diminish a mother's role but I believe it does show us that there's 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 something heightened in the in the influence that a father has on his family or a father has on his children Proverbs has a heightened father focus just like Ephesians 6 verse 1 through 4 you remember that passage Ephesians 6 verse 1 through 4 it tells children children are Obey your parents, that's father and mother, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It says, honor your father and your mother, both, because you know, it gives the promise behind that. And then when it turns the corner, it says, fathers. It doesn't mention mom. It doesn't mean mom's involved. That doesn't lower her role. Nothing like that. But there's this heightened responsibility and this heightened influence that it said children obey your parents. But then when it turns the corner, it says fathers bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. Fathers, it's your role to make sure they come up in the training, the admonition of the Lord. Them having a godly education is your role. It's your responsibility. Fathers, that's what Ephesians does, and I believe that's what the book of Proverbs does as well. A father pleading with his son. Now, this kind of influence is it's interesting. I, I'm not going to bore you with all this stuff, but, but you can literally look at research statistics about a father's influence more than anybody else on his children, and it'll astound you. You're going to go, man, when the, when, the, when the father is absent, it affects these children, it seems like, more than anything else. And when the father's there and he's godly and he's loving the Lord and leading his family, it affects his children more than anything else. The the research and the statistics there are amazing. What's the reason for that? Why do fathers seem to have such an influence on the family, such an influence on the children? Why? Why is that true? Because the Bible says that the father is the head of the home. Now, I want you to notice the scripture never says, hey, father, be the head. It never commands a husband to be the head of his wife. It never does that. It just tells the father, it just tells the husband that he just is. It's not be the head, it's you are the head. You're a good head or you're a bad head. You're, you're, a, you know, you're a focused head of the family or you're a distracted head of the family. You're a, you're a present head of the family or you're an absent head of the family. But you're the head and it's going to have an influence for better or for worse. And I believe this is the reason there is such an influence and even this focus, this focus in Proverbs. Now, I want every father in the room to feel the weight of that for a moment. And I want you to feel the weight of it. And I want you to respond in a way that brings glory to God. You begin to conform your parenting and your fathering to the book of Proverbs and the rest of Scripture. I want you to feel the weight of that. Now before we do that, a quick side note, any single moms in the room, and any fatherless children in the room, you should not be discouraged by this. And I could give you many scriptures on that, but I'll give you one. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, Paul speaks about the genuineness of the faith of Timothy. And then he says, which dwelt first, not in grandpa, but your grandmother." And not in your dad, but your mother. And I see dwells in you also. So if you feel tempted, single mom or fatherless child, to be discouraged by what I'm saying right here, the influence of a father on a family, don't be discouraged. Look at what God did in Timothy's life. You see that? You shouldn't be discouraged. But I do want fathers in the room to feel the weight of this, this observation from Proverbs. A book about raising godly youth, wise youth, starts with nine chapters of a father pleading. So I want to mention to you a few things about what a godly father is. Godly fathers are, number one, and I'll give you three of these as quick as I can. Godly fathers are, number one, they are not passive. They are not passive. Passive. The modern-day curse of the family is passive and complacent men. Men who basically lead their wives to bear the load of training up godly men for the next generation. Just passive men. It's It's a curse of our generation. Fathers of Grace Community Church, don't be passive. Shake yourself out. Of complacency. Proverbs chapter one through nine, that father that's pleading, it is not the portrait of a passive man. Listen, listen to the calling. Just just let me. I mean, I know, I know you've you've been hearing me, but just listen to this. Hear my son. And remember, he's not just talking, not even just to the youngest boy or even to the teenager, but even to his married son. He's saying, Hear my son, your father's instruction. Forsake not your mother's teaching. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, my son, do not forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments. Do you need me to do this again? My son, he's pleading. He's not passive. He's not sitting on the sideline. It's of my business. Let mama handle it. No, he's leaning in. My son, listen to me. Give me your attention. Give me your heart. He's not a passive man. I want to encourage every father in the room, brothers in the room, that this applies to you. Does this mark your leading of your family? Are you passive? Are you this, my son? My son. Are you leaned in? And if you have been passive, I want to ask you, please, to turn away from it. Turn away from passivity. Second, Godly fathers are teachers. As you read through that pleading, all those verses, 16 times, my son, my son, as you read through them, what is the father pleading with the son to listen to? And I jotted them down. Just listen, your father's instruction. Godly fathers are teachers. Your father's instruction. Receive my words. Treasure up my commandments. Do not forget my teaching. Commandments. A father's instruction. I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. My wisdom. My understanding. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Etc. 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 Godly fathers are teachers. And to have this. Teaching and. Wisdom and instruction to have it flowing out of you. What do you have to do? You got to get it in you. To have these words coming out of you towards your family, you, fathers, you got to get the word of God in. You got to be men of the word of God. This is what it says in Deuteronomy six. Famous passage talks about parenting. It says, "These words I command you today shall be in your heart." You got to get them in you. Why? So you can Deuteronomy six. Teach them diligently to your children. Talk about them, these words. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Let them be like signs on your hands and frontlets on your eyes. Let your home be consumed with the word of God. How does that all start? Let these words I command today be in you. Let them be in you. Godly fathers are teachers and because of that, they got to get the word of God in them. And I want to call you to that. I want to call you to that. Be men of the word of God. And lastly, last thing I'll mention to fathers is Proverbs 1 through 9 shows us that fathers are uh, supposed to be examples to imitate. Examples to imitate. You see that in a few different places. I'll share my favorite verse on that in just a moment. Um. But think about that. Your, your children get a daily illustration of what it looks like to follow Christ. They get, they get it sitting right in front of them every day. And you know, if you're anything like me, you hear that and there's a piece of it that gets fired up and says, God, help me to do this. And, and there's part of you that feels um, condemned, convicted by that. What should we do? Well, We don't wallow in it. We press on. God, help us to walk with you. Help us to be these godly illustrations to our kids day in and day out. And here's the verse. Uh, this verse is, it, te- it teaches us that one of the highest blessings you can pour out on your kids is really wrapped up in one word. And it's the word integrity. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7. It says, a righteous man walks in his integrity and his children are blessed after him. This integrity of what what are you when nobody else is looking? What are you when you're just in your home? And maybe only your family sees. Maybe nobody else knows. Do you walk with God? You see, with fathering or parenting in general, there's no secret sauce. There's no step one, step two, step three, and they'll love Jesus. None of that. But men who walk with God with integrity, they really walk with him in the secret place all by themselves and nobody else knows. They walk with God. That's a blessing on your children. A righteous man walks in his integrity and his children are blessed after him. All in all, my desire in laying some of these things out from Proverbs Probably really threefold. One, I want everyone here to be encouraged. Just kind of as we approach, this is what happens a lot at new at, as as we turn over a new year, right? People start thinking about Bible reading, Word of God, get wisdom, pursuit of the Scriptures. They start thinking about that sort of stuff. And just generally speaking, I want everybody in the room to be encouraged in that. Get wisdom from God's Word. Love the Scriptures. This is coming up over and over again in the Book of Proverbs and the rest of the Scripture. Find a way to daily seek God in His Word, and then secondly, this lean towards young men, and thirdly, this lean towards fathers. Man, I want to call Grace Community Church every young man, every father. You don't have to be like the world. The world lays out some sort of standard, and it's an ungodly, wicked, unfruitful standard. But God's Word has the perfect standard. I want to pray for us, Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for letting us meditate on these beautiful truths. And Lord, you, your word says that the fear of you is the beginning of knowledge. And I pray, God, that you would fill up this church with the fear of you. A healthy, reverence, awestruck, trembling at your word, God, from the youngest child. To the oldest man, Lord, I pray that you fill us with the fear of you. Just let it fall, Lord. God, we want to choose it. We choose the fear of you, Lord. Help us to pursue you in your word, God, and gain more and more of a holy reverence. And God, I pray that in that pursuit, you would pour it out. God, I pray that you would make us people that are faithful and diligent in your word. That the scriptures would take first place for us. God, give us the diligence to read it every day. And I pray, Lord, that you'd keep us from hurrying through your word or treating it as something that's casual. But teach us to tremble, Lord, and to find great delight. Lord, I think about Jeremiah. Your words were found. And I ate them, and they became the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. God, please bless us with that. That we would eat your word, and they'd be joy and rejoicing in our souls. God, I pray for the young men. Every young man in this church, Lord. That all the stereotypical things of this world, God, all all the, all the, the way things seem to be going, Lord, that they would reject that full stop. And I pray, God, that they would be disciplined, wise young men for your glory. God, I pray that they would fear you and not men. And God, I pray for every father, Lord, that in all of our weaknesses, and God, we have them so much, Lord, even just reading these things now. God, so many of us around this room feel the weakness and even conviction, God, Or where we keep falling short as fathers. But God, I pray you'd help us. Help us, Lord, despite our weakness, despite these things, Lord. Help us to bear fruit in in the lives of our family, Lord. And help us to raise up sons and raise up daughters for the glory of your name. Thank you so much, Lord, for hearing us. In Jesus' name, amen.